There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello there, good afternoon, and uh, welcome. It's the Lori and Julia Show on My Talk 1071, everything at entertainment. Well, after. An amazing uh, road show that the three of us were on, and we played to sell-out crowds wherever we went. We did. It's an amazing tour. You know, people were scalping tickets for hundreds of dollars, but it was enough. Uh, We're back home now. The band is back together at our home studio. You know, that's the first first time time in 16 years that all three of us have been gone at Two days together. No, actually, that's not true. Is that not true, Donnie? All when did we three, do it? All three of us were gone when we accepted our Gracie Award. Oh, oh that's right. right. Okay. okay, but that was for, you know, for an award. Yes, this time, it we just like the yeah, happenstance yes. of us all going to different parts of the country. Right. You know, we were on a, it's a, it's Travel Tuesday, basically. <laughs> it really yeah. was. And yeah. we start, um, not this, next Monday will be our 17th year on the air. Uh, yes. Unbelievable. Start of 17. Yep. Yeah. It's our 16th anniversary. Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yes. So, yeah. okay. See, it's like saying your birthday <laughs> and then give, bumping yourself up a year. Who the hell does that? Nobody Got does. it. Okay. I yeah. was wondering. All yeah, right. It's so, it's our 16th anniversary. Year. Yeah. It's our 16 years. So, I don't know what that is. If it's wood or parquet or marble. diamonds right. i think it's parquet well, lori it's parquet you, floors in your case you always hope for wood i know but anyway i did i did it's wide open uh, i know so. but you're right Danny, because it's the first word if it's wood i would say is it diamonds or paper yeah. but lori goes straight to the wood yeah. straight because that is an anniversary i know wood. which one is it i don't, I don't know I don't all right so donnie was in spokane yep. julia was in seattle yep. i was in the big easy new orleans and so, Donnie, let's start with you because okay. you kind of had a sentimental reason for traveling to right. Spokane. Well, my mom passed away last November 29th, so uh, we uh, finally had all the family together and uh, we had a uh, memorial service. Actually, it was a celebration of life Nice service for her. It was, uh, it was not sad in any way, shape, or form. Uh, the minister, the Unitarian minister, did a wonderful job. We all got Aww. up and spoke. My brother Aww. spoke. I spoke. Uh, the grandkids spoke. Uh, and everybody just shared funny stories. My mom had a very dry but fun sense of humor. Like you. Oh, okay. I'd say yeah. you're pretty dry, right, Daddy. Daddy. Okay. I'd say I'll you're pretty dry. I'll yep. go with that. Yeah. And then uh, it was about 45 minutes, and we had a wonderful time laughing about her and some of the things she would say and do. Did someone put together, like, pictures and all of that? It was that, and then they asked about music, and I came up with, okay, here's a couple of songs. She loved Engelbert Humperdinck. Oh, my grandma <laughs> loved Engelbert yeah. Humperdinck. So in the middle, in the middle, we paused for this. Oh, 
This is my grandma's song, too. Oh, is that right? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. The Last Waltz, Engelbert Humperdinck. So we That's played so that. Sweet. Thank it. you. And then uh, another one of her favorites as we played going out to the Memorial Gardens. This guy, Lou Rawls. When you listen to the words of this song, it could easily be about a mother. Oh, you know? that's so nice, Donnie. And then we went out to the Memorial Garden, and uh, we buried some of her ashes in a yeah. little, little nice little place outside Oh, good. The so you have church. some place to go. Was yes. the weather nice for you guys? The weather was great. Yeah. 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 And each of us got a vial of her ashes. Yeah. The mm-hmm. kids and the grandkids. Yeah. So, yes. Good. All, All right. was good. Who's All next? Right. Uh, well, Julia was in Seattle. Let's stay on the West Coast. All right. So, Donnie's on in Spokane. I went to Seattle, and my girlfriend, you know, Shannon lives there, and... Oh my gosh! It was nonstop fun. I we started at um, the weather was not you know fifty degrees and Good. cold. We, the first day it was sunny. The yeah. second day it was sunny and kind of hot. And that third day it was sunny and then it was overcast. Yeah. The next two classic Seattle. Uh, we went to the Pop Culture Museum, which is used right, to be the Experience Music, right? Yes, yes, the Paul and, Allen. Place. Yeah, and we were educated at Nirvana. Isn't that a cool place? Oh my gosh! And then we went. Um, my favorite thing we found there because they've expanded to be the Pop Culture Museum yeah. is there's a photo. Um, Probably the best thing I saw. There's a photo of the Wicked Witch of the West hat from um, Oz. Yeah. You know, whatever. What's the name of that movie? The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz, that one. And I, the caption, you know, it's in this kind of smoky glassed in thing. And the hat's there with, you know, the little tail on the hat. And then it's got a picture of the Wicked Witch. And my mom used to always dress up as a witch and put this plaster on her face. And do these scary things on Halloween when the kids would come. So I send my mom and I just tag my little sister. And I said, with the photo and the caption underneath it. And I said, Mom, I found your hat. <laughs> she was I laugh so hard. I couldn't stop laughing and she sends me this back. One of the little rascals kind of sitting there, kind of rolling his fingers like, hmm, nice, you little rat. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, like how she would oh, do yeah. the Wicked Witch of the so West. It was so funny. Yeah. We just laughed so hard. And then the Chihuly Gardens and Museum. In downtown and, Seattle. Yes, because it's right connected. It's all connected. And... You know, we got to know the Chihuly, um flowers at the Bellagio 15, 20 years ago. That ceiling, yeah. Right. That Chihuly glass is oh, so beautiful. It's oh, it's amazing. That museum and then the gardens where the glass is in the gardens and it's just, it's stunning. Yeah. And then um, what did we, then we went and we had um, this underground tour of oh, Seattle. Yeah. yeah Have you been Pioneer, on that? Down yeah. at Pioneer Square. Yeah, that is fun. I mean, Seattle is really a, there's a lot to there's, do there. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then we, um, you know, my friends, um, kids were all in town and we had a going away party for one of her sons that was moving out to Santa Cruz, New York. And Syracuse, Syracuse yeah. or Sarah Cruz. Yeah, I was like, what's you know, that? It's Sarah next Cruz to, you know, somewhere else. Syracuse? Tom's cousin. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. <laughs> and then I, my old friends from Hawaii went out, went out with one night, my roommates, who told me, by the way, after keeping in touch, you know, since 1985, yeah, that we were only, they were only our roommates for three months. Yeah. And we, for life, you know, I felt like we experienced all this time together. And it's only been three months. It was very funny. And then my good friend um, lives in West Seattle, Barb Duffy, for all you St. Paul people. Yeah. Went and visited her. It was just, it was wonderful. But remember we talked about the kilts? Yes. The yes. utility kilts in Seattle? They wear them everywhere. I've seen, I saw people on, and in Pioneer Square, there's a kilt store. Yeah. 
So those people are wearing those. Yeah. It was, it was fun. How about you? Well, New Orleans was hotter than fr- fish fry oil. Okay. Well, it was sweating. steamy. How'd your feet do, honey? Uh, well, you know what? <laughs> I didn't eat as many oysters this year because they uh, were relatively calm and of course, the food and the music is always so much fun. Um, How are my brothers? Uh, their your your one brother said my calves are sore today because you do a lot of walking. Um, but we just had a blast. We drank too much, ate too much, walked too much, uh, laughed, laughed too, too much. much. The one thing we did yesterday was um, we did go to the World War II Museum, which Tom Hanks was instrumental oh, in putting this together. Oh, oh, Donnie, it's amazing and. Oh. Stephen Ambrose, who I think is he from wrote, New Orleans. Well, he wrote the, all the good books. Yes. Yeah. And so... Lewis and Clark. And but so it on. was... I've never seen a museum like this. Like, they had... Um, so they have the Normandy story, so these different branches, and then the Pacific Theater. But they make it... They had, like, Hollywood help. So when you go in the Pacific Theater to see, like, where they fought Guadalcanal and all over the place, it's... It's like a jungle with sounds and mm-hmm. wet sounds and some mm-hmm. machine gun. Fire. And then they have, you know, so you hear the so noise. So it's like of interpretive. War. Yeah. And then you can listen to different people that tell mm-hmm. their survivor stories. But the, the story I didn't know in the Normandy story room was that, that the D-Day invasion was planned for like two years mm-hmm. and that w- the Americans and the British to trick Hitler because he thought for sure they'd invade at Calais, which Calais, which is the closest from England, you know, because if you've ever taken the ferry Dover to Calais, so they built like fake tanks. Yes, and that's right. Fake, yes. fake. The Germans did. No, no the Americans, oh, the Americans, Americans British, British did. Okay. I just did not yeah. know this story about how they just Hollywoodized with the help of Hollywood, so that they could trick Hitler, so that the beaches that they wanted to invade would be. Hitler would stack up his people there, but then you know, I mean, just the stories, and I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't not cry at one point or two in this because, you know, it was so really deaths, a powerful, deaths. powerful museum, and how they told the story, and people of all ages were there, and you know, kids, and it was didn't ever feel crowded, and it was, it was really, it was a, it was a. A thoughtful way to end a weekend of debauchery, Julia. <laughs> Did you eat beignets? Did oh, you go? we had everything. What was your favorite? I know you're not into food, but was there something somewhere you ate that was just like to die for? It's all good. It's all good. There are 1,600 restaurants in New Orleans, and I think probably um, 1,400 of them are f- fantastic. You you literally can't eat bad food there. It's that's what they same with you can't hear bad music, right? Or get a crappy drink. Really? Yeah, really. Lots of ice. Lots and lots of ice. <laughs> All right, listen, when we come back, it's our story we can't get enough of. Hey, everybody, thanks for hanging out with us. I hope you missed us. I'm sure Holly and the two Stephanies were holding down the fort and having no some doubt. fun. Yes. But we're happy to be back, and I think now we're all here for a while. I know. Yeah. My son's like, Mom. Boy, you've been taking a lot of vacation. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I kind of yeah, have. It's been nice. Um, oh, people are really, really uh, bummed about Kate Spade, uh, who took her own life this morning in her Manhattan apartment. People are just like really bummed about, you know, how much her fashion meant, and you know, just sad that she had a 13 year old daughter and her yeah. husband. And um, you know, I, I want to thank uh, Sonia for. 
she tweeted us the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. If you are, please, it is the worst. It is the worst thing you can ever do to your family is to take your life. It is never ending heartbreak. You never recover from it. It's just uh, a real. Uh, there's just something just. Uh, so horrible about it. I mean, it's happened in my family. I've had two nephews, two mm-hmm. different sisters. And, you know, there's some people in my family who are like, I- I'll never forgive those boys mm-hmm. for doing that. Mm-hmm. It's just so raw. It's so, you can't understand it. And the what ifs are endless. I mean, anytime somebody dies, of course, you know, unless you're the lady in Redwood Falls, which we'll talk about yes, her we later. Will. Yes, we but will. um, you know, it, it is it is grief is there, but the grief with suicide is just mm-hmm. uh but Sonia, thank you. The suicide prevention hotline one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. And um just uh I know like one of my nieces who's you know like she was like Kate Spade is where she first discovered fashion. You know, she oh a lot of people, a lot of people, and what a you know how she started the company and she sold she turned in her four hundred one k. She used to write for Mademoiselle, yeah, and she turned in her four four hundred one k. And her she and her husband, um, were, he was creative as well. Um, they started this company, and she wanted to have. She grew up in the Midwest. Where you have to have one it fashion item, yeah. And um, didn't she start it based on like uh, there's six basic handbag yes. shapes? Yeah, oh, really? and that's yep. all she would Ooh. do. Mm-hmm. Six. She started the company based on the shapes of bags she thought every work, working woman needed, and it would pr- propel her into the upper echelons of exceedingly competitive global fashion and design. And for customers, fashion is in the right place in their life. It's an adornment, not an obsession. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really, and Kate Spade made such a name for her that at one point she had 140 retail shops as well as 175 stores. Well, there still are 140 yeah. retail shops. And there's one at MOA. Yeah. And I just bought my friend a Kate Spade wallet for a going away present. And, you know, she... When did she sell Kate Spade well, Inc.? Okay, so she sold it in 2007 and now for I... how much? I I've got two different numbers. Okay. 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 One of them says it was acquired um, by the Neiman Marcus Group for 125 million by the company at the time that was known as Liz Claiborne Inc. Mm-hmm. But now another one I saw sold it for 2.4 billion. So no, that's when they re- when the when company was re- resold sold to Coach so last she year. She sold the business for 125 million yeah. in 2007, yeah. and then she yeah. focused her time to raise her daughter Frances Valentine. And then last year, I believe a couple years ago in 2016, she launched a new line of fashion under the Francis Valentine label. And I'm not quite sure what all was in that. But I'm Bradley Trainer, And I'm Don McClain. We have a podcast called Blinded by the Item. A blind item is gossip about a celebrity with their name left out. It's a guessing game and you can play along. The item might be like this A-list star carries a Birkin bag worth more than the average person's house to the gym to work out. Pretty sure that's J-Lo. And P.S. The person behind all of this is Chris Jenner, LLC. We drop a new episode every weekday so the fun never ends. Blinded by the Item. Listen wherever you get podcasts and watch us on the Blinded by the Item YouTube channel. Um, I mean, she... It's a handbag company, Francis Valentine. It's just handbags? Yeah. Again? Okay. Handbags, yeah. Yep, and her husband of 25, 24 years is Andy Spade, David Spade's brother... 
Yeah. It's really sad. And yeah. and we did hear that she, you know, left a note to her daughter saying it's not your fault. Um, yes. This reminds me of Loren Scott. Yes, very similar. Yeah, just, yes. you know, fashion, yep. at yep. home, yep. Um, around the same age. And 55, 50. Yeah, yep. you know, you just have to think, well, there's, you know, depression or something, mm-hmm. mental uh, health, something yep. was going on with her. But that's... I feel so bad for her daughter and her husband because what they are going to have to deal with forever is what 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 did i miss what didn't i see and i know that that's wrong but that's what happens that's the cycle of what of of how you think didn't my mom love me enough to stay from i mean it's terrible it's endless it's endless my one nephew left two daughters and they were two and four and they're now you know 11 and and uh no they're excuse me they're 10 and 12 and I mean, their mom has just really done an amazing job, but it is a lot, a lot of, you know, how, how do you how explain, you, how right. do you get somebody to, to, you know, understand that they, it wasn't because they didn't love you. So uh, counseling right. is, you know, and groups and all of that. But. And as you said before the show... It crosses all socioeconomic yes, levels. It doesn't, doesn't discriminate. Doesn't That's discriminate. Right. It doesn't matter how rich you are. No. And sometimes comes without any warning at all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Exactly. Any people warning at be, all. People can be very, very good at 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 hiding it, and and then you have no idea. But it just, it's like, uh, you know, the ripple effect just goes on and on and on. Even even. You know, you were at my one nephew's service. Mm-hmm. Remember all the oh. the high school boys that got up and just every walk of life and how they talked about just the impact of have, knowing this person and that that they that this happened to them. So yeah, it's really it's really it's really heartbreaking. It so. really is. So. We really didn't mean this to be our story. We couldn't get enough of, but we had a lot to say, obviously. Yep. And also, we're trying not to say. The words committed suicide, yes. you commit crimes, robbery. Um, now a trend has emerged. This is the My Talk Now Trending Report. What's happening right now? now, now. Trending online this afternoon, Kelly Marie Tran, the Star Wars The Last Jedi star, has removed all of her Instagram posts after months of online harassment. Also trending, Lin-Manuel Miranda, the actor and playwright, recently attended his 20, 20th high school reunion where he caught up with old friends and made an interesting discovery in an old copy of his school's newspaper. Also, a couple of movie trailers trending this afternoon, one for the movie Bumblebee, Haley Steinfeld meets Bumblebee in the first trailer for the Transformers spinoff and also Lego Movie 2. Bricksburg is in disarray since the events of Taco Tuesday, but Emmett still thinks everything is awesome. If you've seen the first Lego Movie, what I told you made sense, and if you haven't, please disregard. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the latter group, so thank you. The sky is blue and bears okay, you know, poop in the woods, Donnie. Unnecessary, but mm-hmm. Also, today it's World Environment Day. That's what's turning here at my talk. All right, your weather is brought to you by AAA Movers. Uh, clear starting tonight, but then we got some uh, storms moving in maybe after 5 o'clock in the morning. That will continue till about 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, and right now, 63 for the low tonight, 81 tomorrow's high, but sunny and 78 here at my talk. Now you know what we know. See more at mytalk1071.com.
everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. Well, 20 years ago tomorrow, Sex and the City premiered on HBO, and we are so delighted. Um, the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Seinfeldia, Jennifer Keishan Armstrong, is joining us about her new book, Sex in the City and Us, How Four Single Women Change the Way We Think, Live, and Love. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Okay, so... Welcome. Welcome. We First <laughs> of all, your book is... Just, it was fantastic. I can't tell you how Thank much you. we enjoyed reading. Um, just really, because, I mean, you say basically in your book, I mean, Sex and the City changed our world. And for us, Jennifer... It did. It changed our world. <laughs> we have a radio show because I got the idea to write, after I met um, Kristen Davis at a New York fashion show, I'd been oh. writing HBO. Who do... I've got this great idea for these nipples. Samantha can get, you know, had... That we invented, we invented by invented, the way. Okay, <gasps> and so when we... When, so we cool. when we got our radio show, uh, and I did get him on Sex and the City, and she told me, oh, you got to write Michael Patrick King at HBO in, in L.A., and like a year after we were on the radio, which we really got because we made the whole world talk about nipples, thanks to Sex and the City, Cindy Shupak <laughs> was on our show. And oh. she said, you got, you, that is the only idea outside of the writer's room that got on the show. And we got sent crap all the time. She said, but I you, bet. she mm-hmm. said you'd written in your note, you'd challenged the single <laughs> ladies for a couple girls to wear them out and a couple not to wear it. And she said, and we came back the next day, we'd gone to the standard. She said, it was incredible. The, the social experiment that we realized was going on with these perky nipples. So anyway, oh God. It, it did, it did change <laughs> our life too. It totally changed our life. <laughs> That's really cool. If I had known that, I would have interviewed you guys too for the book, but uh, well, uh, I guess we'll go the other way. Season, we'll go, season four, episode <laughs> six. And you do mention it. Yeah. You do mention it, you know, with all the different things that, you know, yeah. w- that were on the show. But, but Cindy Shupak did say, she said, yeah, we didn't, everything came. All mm-hmm. the story ideas came from the writer's room. She said that was the only exception. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense to me, too. I mean, you guys have read the book, so you know, like, yep. the, they were pretty hardcore about kind of, like, really keeping it real and taking directly from their lives. Right. When you were doing uh, the research for Sex in the City and Us, and and really anybody who loves that show or is just interested um in in how that show impacted our culture and women and how we view everything, um, when you talked with, I mean, were people pretty open to talking to you? They were. They were really, I found them to be so, you know, especially, I mean, the ones I talked to, anyway, like, I find them to be so kind of generous and open. And, you know, anybody who makes a TV show, they're also great storytellers. But this was just a special thing. Like, the writers, I don't know if you guys talked to Cindy about this, but, like, those female writers, the women who wrote for the show, you know, directed by Michael Patrick right. King and created by Darren Starr, it was all women besides that. And they just have such a special relationship to this day. I've been on some email chains with them recently, and I can even just via email chain, I feel this like intense and lasting relationship among those women because they shared so much stuff Pers- with each other by writing. Yeah, and, the, and, the it, personal stuff. And, and yeah. And Jennifer, did you have a, you know, just to back up a little bit, mm-hmm. were you, was this just a big impact in your life, Sex in the City, that you wanted to I mean, write a book about it? 
Absolutely. You know, the introduction is, is actually, it's one of, it's the only time I've ever written a personal story in one of my books so far, because I just felt like it was necessary because it was so big for me. Um, and it, this is common for women. You know, we all have our sex in the city stories, you know, especially those of us of a certain age, but the, mm-hmm. the younger ones are catching on to it as well. And I had just moved to New York City kind of in the middle, well, I moved to New, Jer- New Jersey across from New York City. In the middle of the run of Sex and the City, I was with my fiancé, who um, was my college sweetheart. We had been together for 10 years, and we moved here, and I was watching the show while going into the city to work at Entertainment Weekly magazine, and just had this fundamental shift where I went like, oh, wait. The sex in the city, there's, you know, I mean, there's a fantasy element, but there's there's a real element to the sex in the city life, too. And I, I just suddenly realized that that's what I wanted, and I hadn't had it in my 20s. Yeah. And I, I really wanted to do it before settling down. So um, I ended up canceling my wedding and kind of <laughs> living the cheap version of the sex in the city life for a good, you know, 10 years or so after that in a little hovel in the East Village. Yeah. So, it was big. It was big for me. And and it did affect people, you know, in all kinds of ways. I mean, we didn't really, I mean, it made Manolo Blahnik a household mm-hmm. world. You know, the fashion, seeing women in their 30s and 40s. Talk about sex. Sex and yeah. objectifying men was like refreshing. It was like, finally, <laughs> mm-hmm. finally. Exactly. No, it was, it was really that female gaze as they, you know, as the academics call it was really important too. And if you read the early reviews of the show, I mean, they're kind of hilarious because people were really freaking out. Yes, like, they especially were. The male, the male reviewers, they were really like, you know, they, they didn't even know what to say. They were so stunned. And so they like tried to make arguments against it, yeah. but really you could tell that the main thing was they were just freaked out by these women exerting their power and by objectifying men, which they really did pretty deliberately. Well, mm-hmm. yes, and it was like they were freaking out because men hadn't ever had the gaze flipped on them, and it's like, we've been dealing with this forever. Yeah, that's all it is. I mean, I always think of, like, that episode where she judges the firefighter yes. calendar contest. Uh-huh. Like, that's just the pinnacle of, like, what the show could do with that you know they did it to the men in general during like the sex scenes and stuff but then there's that one episode where it's just like parade of hot men yeah shirtless for no reason you know what <laughs> i i did not know until i read um sex in the city and us um that kim cottrell had originally declined the role of samantha yeah, she really didn't want to take it. Like, she really held out till the very end. I mean, I, I can't quite remember the exact number of days, but it was, like, days before they were going to shoot. And they had already cast someone else. And they just kept saying, no, we're sure that it's it should be Kim Cattrall. Like, mm-hmm. that, they just knew it. And so they really put the full court press toward the end. And Darren Starr, like, flew to L.A. and had lunch with her and just kind of really made his case and was lucky enough to get her. But it was just one of those. It's, you can see too i think she's so great in that role that we almost forget yeah it's like you you forget how how much work she was doing to be that good because it felt natural but to deliver those lines in a way that i mean she was 
I mean, Brilliant. utterly ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. She did a lot of the heavy lifting for that show. Yeah. Well, she you know, sure did. Jennifer, here's something that Julie and I noticed because we were lucky enough to be invited to the Sex in the City uh, uh, at Silver Cup Studio when they filmed yeah. the night, the, the bar scene with the nipples when um, Samantha says she got these nipples in the mail. <laughs> so they invited us. And, mm-hmm. and oh, we're, that's so cute. I know. So we're on set and Kristen Davis sees us. Oh, you figured out who to write to because she was really super nice to me at Bryant Park mm-hmm. when I ran into her. But and then, you know, um, the, so the girls that were in rehearsal and it takes it took just took forever. But we had fun. We got the tour and everything. But um, Sarah Jessica Parker came out and did a really sweet toast. You know, the nipple chicks are here. The nipple ladies, I think she called <laughs> yes. us. And that cheer- sounds right. That and she like cheered us said. and and toasted. But but the person who was the coldest to us. Yes. I mean, barely acknowledged us, was Kim Cattrall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Cynthia Nixon was super friendly. Uh, Sarah yeah. Jessica toasted us. Charlotte, of course. I mean, some, um, yeah. you know, um, yeah. uh, you know, I'm Kristen. talking about, yeah, Kristen Davis. Kristen. And, yeah. and we were just like, whoa, she's a cold one. I wonder if she was just, you know, sometimes, and I've, ex- I've experienced this on all the books I've written, where there's almost always at least one in an ensemble cast that really is like, in the zone okay, when they're okay, in that's character. Funny. Yeah. All right. You know, like, I, it makes me think of, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird comparison, but like Michael Richards on Seinfeld yes. was very similar. Like he couldn't, he had to stay like in the zone and in character while he was there. And I wonder if she was sort of similar Maybe. given that it was such an extreme character. Yeah. You and know? she was the one that was going to have to kick off the whole thing, even though Miranda <laughs> wore them around the bar and then Samantha wanted him back. Okay. Talk to us about, cause I know she didn't join till the second season, but Patricia, Patricia Fields, Fields uh, the, the uh, fashion influence. Yeah. I mean, she is just her sort of influence and genius cannot be overstated in my opinion, especially just in, in terms of like, women's fashion on television. She is the one, you know, and that's what made this show a fashion show. It was having her around. Um, and she really changed kind of the way women dressed in general and on television specifically before that. If you think about like a Melrose place or a 90210, it was more about like power suits, right? Shoulder pads, right? Like it's either you were either like wearing a power suit or you were dressing super sexy for men. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Whereas her whole thing is like, Dressing women for self-expression, dressing them for other women, dressing them for themselves. And, you know, she obviously also just pushed the boundaries enormously. I mean, there's some bonkers outfits. Oh, on my that gosh, show. yes. <laughs> but, but, but Sarah Jessica Parker just, I mean, you write in the book and you interviewed Sarah for this uh, yes. book that she just had complete uh, trust in Patricia Fields. And, of course, she's so teeny tiny and er, almost everything, everything looks great looks on good. her. Yeah, it's true. There's a lot that she does that that's like ridiculous, but kind of looks cute on her. We couldn't, most of us couldn't get away with it. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite things that Sarah said to me though was she said, "Sometimes you have to be ridiculous." Yeah. And I loved that because she was willing to go. I mean, the the quintessential example is the Heidi dress. Oh um, yes. Where it's like full oh. brindle. She wears braids. She had the makeup <laughs> artist put like um, uh, she put they put like freckles on her face. Um, and this was just for, for Carrie to go to lunch with her girlfriends. Like, this was not Halloween. This was not, you know, they just went for it. And that was one that even people on the set sort of questioned. But once they did it and they got away with it, it was sort of all bets were off. And if you think of those those 
you know, mid to late seasons, there's some absolutely insane stuff she wears. When she wears the belt over her, like, bare midriff, there's just so much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about now, in your book, um, Sex in the City and Us, how four single women changed the way we think, live, and love. And Jennifer wrote uh, Seinfeldia, which is also a great book. But, you know, people, and I think that people still might do it. Are you a Carrie, a Samantha? Mm-hmm. You know, that whole game, which 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 woman are you? Everyone always says they're Carrie. I would always, I'm Samantha, 100%. Um, I love that you're a Samantha. I am oh, a Samantha, totally. Jennifer, totally, a hundred percent. I grew into being a Samantha <laughs> temporarily, <laughs> right? But I mean, what? What? Who is the one that everyone? I mean, I think everyone thinks they're Carrie, but really, there's more Charlottes and Mirandas. Yeah, I think you know. I used to say that for most of us who watched it when it was on and were adults, like I, I did this too. Like I, I feel like I was a Carrie while I was watching it, and I, as I grew up, I became a Miranda. Uh-huh. Um, I think you know. But the funny thing is, I mean, it was built for us to, to identify with Carrie, right? Right. She's, she is the main character. Yes, and but the narrator. You know, mm-hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. So, like, but one thing that I've I've found out while I was doing this is kind of great, which is that um, it seems that the younger women who have been catching onto the show and reruns or streaming um, are all immediately identifying with Miranda, which I think is a great sign of progress. Yes. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. That's right? something. Yeah. That's yeah. She's the smart feminist together one. Yeah. And it turns out like back then we weren't supposed to want to be that. And now these girls, they all want to be that. And I think that that's great. I love that you're Samantha's Samantha's though, because I feel like I meet so few people who (laughs) cop to that. So (laughs) we've had Lori had her phase younger and I had mine older. (laughs) You're right. There you go. (laughs) Jennifer, your book is just absolutely terrific. Sex in the city and us. I mean, you were really just a hell of a good writer and you just tell this story so compellingly and we just love every page i want to go have a marathon of the show though i know it i know it thank you jennifer so much for being with us and sell a lot of books would you thank you thank you for having me okay absolutely all right listen we do we have a couple copies to give away all right six five one six four one one oh seven one someone's divorce is getting very m-e-s-s Hey, everybody. Thanks for hanging out with us. Oh, I'm telling you, the Sex in the City book is so good. It's just really kind of fat. I mean, just how much industry Sex in the City spawned and how it was like really hated when it first came on the air because they got rid of that first person where Carrie would look at the breaking the third wall where she would look at the camera. Oh, yeah, the fourth wall, yeah. The fourth wall. Yeah. They got rid of that after mm-hmm. the first one. And HBO, I mean... They wanted them to shoot the whole season, and then they were going to air it. They wanted it. That was the way that they ordered the series. Right. So that when it aired, it was all done and Mm -hmm. in the can. So it didn't matter what people were saying because it was already done. And, And then Sopranos started on the air on HBO like six months later. Because otherwise, HBO was just known... For boxing, right? Some yeah. sports, and, and movies, sports, yes. but it yeah. didn't have any. This was it, their first scripted TV program. Yeah, right. Was Sex in the City, and 
and it's like we said, tomorrow's the 20th anniversary, yeah. and it started what in 1995 no, or 98. 98. 98. And then when did it stop? Six years later. Oh, yeah, six, it, was it was only so, on six seasons. And if you've never watched it, and, and Jennifer, in her opinion, and all the people she talked to, the peak of Sex in the City was the four season. That's our that season. Every episode mm. was just. Don't you pow. remember? Going around and just going crazy for it. We went crazy for it. Julia. We went crazy for it. I told you I would get it on Sex in the City. I had no idea everybody else was trying to get their stuff on Sex in the City. Because when they had, it was because one of the writers loved her rabbit vibrator. Yes, I remember. And so she put it in the show and that Mm -hmm. just exploded the sales of vibrating um, rabbit. amazing? And then all these other... Mm-hmm. Ricky's in New York. Well, but all these other... Um, sexual it, it, aids. It, it, uh, yeah, it up the ante in the vibrating yeah. department. Mm-hmm. Isn't there a cupcake store? That yeah, oh, yeah, Magnolia so many, Bakery. So this is kind of interesting. A cupcake industry exists mainly because of a 30-second scene in, yeah. on Sex and the City yeah. that... Because we had forgotten how much we loved cupcakes because it was like a thing we got when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the writers, the women that were writing for Sex and the City were all like in their 30s and 40s. Mm-hmm. So they were probably cupcake girls when they were growing up. Don't you remember that? Your mom would make you oh, cupcakes. Oh, yeah. It would be a way if you had a school birthday, you could bring cupcakes yes, you could. to school and everyone <laughs> right. could have a cupcake yes. and then your mom wouldn't have to have a party, your mom and dad. <laughs> like, and the Cosmo cos- yeah. oh, the drink Cosmo. The was name from it. necklaces and those are back in. Right. It's just, uh, and well, of course, Candace Bushnell really did live the Carrie Bradshaw life in this book. Her the whole book, it came out of being a column in the New York Observer, mm-hmm. which was a pink broadsheet mm-hmm. in New York that was really... I remember hearing about that. People yeah. just read it yeah. for... Oh, yeah. Like, they loved her column. Sex column. Yeah. So, anyway. All right. And then she cool. went on to be an author, and we've had her on our show, and we met yeah. her in person That's in right. the studio, and the rest is history. The, she married the ballerina from, from Minnesota. Minnesota and then got divorced after six years. Yep. All right, listen, let's move along. Shall we? we? Janet Jackson's divorce is getting very, very, very So this happened over the weekend. She and her ex, she gave the ex the baby for the weekend, right? Yeah, so here is the deal. Mm -hmm. uh, Randy Jackson called TMZ to say that, um, you know, he's the one who is saying that she called the police about drugs. That she was worried that her son was uh, Isa or Isa. I'm not sure how you pronounce right. it. E I S S A. Isa. Isa. He's 15 Isa. months old now. Yeah. Um, and that uh, she called the cops on Friday and Saturday. But the thing is, it sounds like it was about what uh, Wasam not making Wi-Fi available to Janet's nanny, nanny because that- they live in he lives has a house in malibu that he's staying in and the spotty cell phone reception and she wanted communication and but the story all of the story seems to be coming from randy so we don't know what is going on but he's helping flame the fires the fires um and uh that it had nothing to do with the nanny being uh, terrified. It was about cell phone service. Now, I don't know why Janet Jackson is wasting 911 time calling about cell phone service, but uh, People Magazine has a very lengthy story where it sounds like both sides are spilling. Yeah. Number one, they don't agree on how to raise their son. 
Well, they Number- have complete cultural differences, and this is why yeah. they're no longer together. Mm-hmm. Right, but I mean, she was, I don't know, they were together like seven years. They didn't have one conversation about it. this. Their baby was born in London. Yeah. That might give the dad an edge. Mm-hmm. Why Why does it give him an edge? I don't know. I don't know. Well, he's a billionaire. Yeah. yeah. He's a billionaire. He's a and um, uh, the nanny overreacted. A source close to Wassam says Janet is always messing with his custodial time. That he she makes it difficult for mm-hmm. him. Wassam hopes everything is going to die down. Uh, her people are saying, um, you know, that they that they get along and that they want everything to work out. But I just so is Randy fan in the flames. Yeah. You know, to try and help her along this. on the side. It's yeah. very ugly. This is very Was she ugly. concerned about the welfare of the child? What's That's what, what Randy initially what Randy tried to say. Okay. She's saying no. She just couldn't get a hold uh, because the cell phone service. There's something but the, fishy yeah, and growing then, on. Yeah, and it was all over the Wi-Fi password, which you would still have cell phone service, but not a Wi-Fi. It's very fishy. I think this is going to... This is going to get ugly. Yep. This is going to get ugly. And I think it's both sides. And I really think they have a big problem because that baby's only 15 months old and it doesn't, I, they need to figure out how to put the baby first. And both sides are spilling to people. Yep. Yeah. And Randy's spilling to TMZ. And Harry Styles is modeling for Gucci with chicken and dogs. It's everything, people.